Oh, good morning, everyone. You've changed your seating. It's great. It looks great. So, um, look, it's Spring Bank holiday. Thank you so much for being here. So, <laughs> really helpful, I must say. Um, look, this term, uh, we are specifically uh, looking at the book of Proverbs, which, if you want to turn to it, you will find it's approximately in the middle of your Bibles. So you should have closed your Bible, went in the middle of it, unless you've got some strange Bible. Um, you should arrive at somewhere like Psalms, and maybe Proverbs, but Proverbs is immediately after Psalms. And we're going to be at Proverbs 6, and then 26 in a moment or two. But it, it is the number one wisdom book of the Bible. And most of the teaching is slanted to men. Because it's written from the perspective of a father to a son. So hence you will find phrases, and this is certainly the first nine chapters, you'll find phrases such as, listen my son to a father's instruction. And my son, keep your father's commands. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Now, in this case... In the historical context here, the father is Solomon and the son is Rehoboam. But as John pointed out the other week, what is written to the son can also apply to women as well. So guys, we're all in here. All right, that's a generic term, by the way, guys. So we're all in here. It it covers the whole spectrum. So this is a series for all of us. Proverbs can appear to be a jumbled set of Uh, different pieces of wisdom or counsel. But, you know, it's not as jumbled as you think. One of the ways it's held together is through different personalities. And so Proverbs uh, frequently addresses the simple or the fool, the mocker. And today, it's meet the sluggard day. Meet the sluggard day. So, um, the sluggard. So that's where we're going to come to. The sluggard is someone who is perceived... As lazy, as one definition had it, habitually inactive. I believe the clue is in the first part of the word. So let's all say that where shall we go? Slug. You're really slow on this here, guys. Say it again. Slug. Yeah, you got it. You got it. See, it's really, it's quite profound, isn't it? So we're going to Proverbs and. Um, the reading is 6, verses 6 to 11, and then 26, 14 to 15. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you keep, get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. 26. Let's go to Proverbs 26. And verse 14, and 
15. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. It's really, really pictorial, isn't it? I mean, it's just brilliant pictures. Um, I'm not sure what comes to mind for you when we use that term, the sluggard. I suppose it's perhaps, I suppose it's epitomized basically by the, the most infamous cartoon figure of, and I think, sorry, I think you've already guessed it, haven't you, really? Homer. So Homer Simpson. So um, there he is, Homer slobbing it out on the couch, drinking beer, and he, with the little caption, if you, if you can't reach it, you don't need it. I mean, it's just, this is Homer Simpson, and then at work, he's no different either. Uh, he just, uh, this is the work shy man, you can, this is Homer Simpson, the epitome of the, the sluggard. However, um, we are more likely to think in terms of those on the edge of society, um, Endlessly claiming benefits, endlessly claiming benefits and doing nothing, that's probably where our thought processes would go. Um, the occasional documentary fueling our suspicions and a bit of our heat, and all the time thinking, thank goodness, it isn't me. Well, we're going to look up three aspects today. Uh, we're going to look at the symptoms of the sluggard and the problems of the sluggard. And then the freedom of the sluggard. So, we're going to start with the symptoms here. And I, I really don't want you to sit here and think this is someone else's problem. And sometimes, you know, we listen to a word and we're thinking, I hope, I hope, you know, I hope they're hearing this. I hope they haven't missed this. No, guys, this is for all of us here. So, uh, this is not somebody else's problem. There's a bit of this, I suspect, in every one of us. And to be honest, we'd be fooling ourselves if we didn't think that. I mean, you'd be surprised how much time is given to social networking. You know, Facebook, Twitter, and all the like. The latest game. The latest game. Uh, somebody was telling me of a friend of, hers, a friend of theirs, and um, they'd been playing this game, which was on, on their mobile phone, just a, yeah, just a few minutes here, just a few minutes there. That's, that's all. Just a little bit of time here and a little bit of time there. That's all they were doing. And, um, and then after a while... He found that in the settings, it gave a record of how much time he'd spent on the game. He was shocked. Absolutely shocked. He had clocked up hours upon hours upon hours of frittering time, frittering away time on this game. He was so horrified, he immediately deleted the game. Oh, interesting. And he was a busy man. Frittering away time. How much of our work time? Let me hear. That's the work time. How much of our work time is given over to social networking? Rather than working to the task at hand. An article in the Telegraph suggests that a third of employees could be distracted by as much as three hours a day. A third of employees. And I just want to... I'm building up the case of stats. So if you're into stats, you'll like this. If you're not, stay with it. Because they say a lot. 
you know, perhaps there's more of the sluggard in us than we think. The Independent reported last year that for the year 2014, there had been almost 700 pornography searches a day from computers inside the Houses of Parliament. That's an article in the Independent. 700 a day. That added up to something like 250,000 per year. This is time which you've already got hold of. This is time paid by the taxpayer. You're paying for this. It's, that's not my point. I'm not making a finger, point a finger here. All I'm saying is if this is happening in the working day of the corridors of power, you can be absolutely sure this is happening in many working environments. The first Monday in February has now been dubbed National Sickie Day. I don't know if you realize that, and it's now National Sickie Day. Last year, an estimated 375,000 people were sick on the first Monday in February. Now, it is the first Monday after what's called Dry January. Dry January is... For a number of people, it's where they have no alcoholic drink right the way through January. They've had their binge at Christmas, and come January, they're off the stuff. One month dry. That's what they do. Then, at the end of dry January, there's the weekend. And they hit the stuff. And the first Monday in February, more sickies than any other day. Alcoholic binge. One business leader noted this. I mean, there are many excuses. I don't have time to do all of that. There are many excuses for, uh, uh, for um, pulling a sickie or whatever, or not being at work. One business leader noted that he had an employee whose mother had died twice. <laughs> Furthermore, not only had this, uh, his mother died twice, he had that gross misfortune to lose all his grandparents, 12 of them. In a two-year period. I mean, I think that guy's pushing his luck, don't you? I mean, it's just absolutely... The point I'm making here is this. is this. This isn't about extreme caricatures, cartoon or otherwise. It's part of the world in which we live. And let's not fool ourselves. We can get caught up in this stuff too. And I read that the primary, one of the primary reasons people feel justified for pulling a sickie was because they'd worked hard and thought they deserved it. Excuse me? I thought we were meant to work hard. But it was just an interesting point. Proverbs 13, verse 4 says this. The sluggard craves and gets, <laughs> and, and gets nothing. Absolutely nothing. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The sluggard craves and gets nothing. You know, one of the unique aspects of man is that we have longings and we have desires. It sets us apart from all other creative beings. We have longings and desires. We're wired this way. It's part of our humanity. The core of our being longs for meaning and for purpose. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. He longs too, and he craves, he has longings and desires, and yet gets nothing. I think that's a terrible place to be. I think it's an awful place to be. 
And we, you know, may have experienced a little bit of this in our own lives. Perhaps we heard something motivational. Well, I heard that. I am getting on board with that. I am going to do that. Or read a book, inspires us, galvanizes, saw a TV program, says, you know what? That's, that's what I'm for. That's what I've been made for. I'm going to do that. There are garages, my friends, that are full of get fit equipment that people have now discarded and no longer using. There are garages full of this. There are garages full of this. If it's yours, I'm sorry if I'm in the spot. I'm just saying that most people who join a gym at the beginning of the year, they really annoy all the regulars who are there week after week after week. And then come January, they just saturate the gym. And people can't get on their favorite piece of kit and all the rest of it. But hang on in there, because it begins to lighten. And by the end of February, it's all back to normal. I saw on TV the Chelsea Flower Show the other evening. I mean, it just looked brilliant. Thoroughly appreciate it. I mean, the beauty, the inspiration of it all, the creativity. I mean, it's just incredibly inspiring. There must have been somebody walking down there and going, Look out, back garden. Next year, you're going to be unrecognizable. I'm telling you, that's not going to be me. That's not me at all. I'm happy to cut the grass. I'm not even happy to do that, to be quite honest. But I'll do it. It needs to be done. And I find this, that the longer it gets, the less motivated I am to cut it. Many start great projects, meaningful things, but along the way gets distracted. You can do that in a day. You know, you could have, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to, and, that's a, and then suddenly it's a little distraction. And then you've got this tweet here. And you've got, uh, you know, so, somebody sent you a note here, an email there. And, all the rest, and suddenly we just get off course. I, what I'm saying is you, you don't want to be a person who's left with half-hearted attempts at many things. You know, and they follow all behind you. You don't want to be like that. For some... This is more prevalent than others. I said there are characteristics in all of us in this, but for some, you know, they're just a lot more prevalent. Proverbs frequently uses humor, and part of that is of putting the message across, uses humor. So, you know, hence, Proverbs 26 that we just read, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. You can, see the, you can see the amount of energy that's being involved here that takes for a, a turning in the bed. It's just, it's pure, it's just humor. I, I sort of remember, you know, you hear those, see those black and white films and the door creaks open. And it's like the sluggard slowly turns, energy level zero, And then he buries his hand in the dish. But he hadn't realized the complexity of the movement. Oh my goodness me. I've got to move my hand from there to here. That's a long way. I need training for this. Nobody told me it was going to be this hard. This difficult. It would seem, you know, I have to say that's not my problem. You know, if my hand's in the dish, I mean, it's just not my problem. But he, he's just poking fun at the sluggard. It would seem that at the heart of the sluggard, he's just divided. 
doing one thing and then it does another. I'm not going to do this. We have all got these, these desires. We've all got these longings. But the truth is they're mixed. We're mixed. We're one course of life. The sluggard is never allowed to grow and dominate and focus who they are and what they've been called to. You know, some of these are just the symptoms of the sluggard. I say some. This is a massive um, conversation here. Problems of the sluggard are, are varied. He's not good at waiting. He or she, she knows little about the term delayed gratification. I just want to show you this video. It's called the marshmallow experience or experiment. The marshmallow experiment. Have a look. Sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one. So then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. Go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. 
How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give me another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. And so, which child are you? It's the guy. <laughs> uh, I, I do. I just love that. We live in an instant culture, so patience isn't all that easy. But delayed gratification is more than just patience, as you saw in the film. It requires some discipline. It requires some dif- discipline. And, and it's important that we inculcate that at, a, at an early age. The very word discipline is perceived in a negative light. We, we see oh, it's just boundaries and everything to stop me, curtail my freedom. But, you know, we develop discipline in our children in order that as they grow up, they'll make their decisions and you won't be there to make them for them. And you won't even be there, actually, to give them a word of advice. You just won't be there. So we inculcate it into our children so that when they're old enough, they will make those decisions. And we trust, there's no guarantees here, I understand that, I have children, and, um, and we trust that this will be a help for, their, for the development of their life. There are no shortcuts to discipline. If you want to run a marathon, I tell you, you've got to train. My son did that, I mean, he, and he trained. Boy, did he train. I mean, he trained, I mean, hours, hours doing this stuff. I mean, the miles he covered... If you, if you want to do something like this, you have to have discipline. Discipline is pay now, <laughs> and the rest comes later. But you have to pay. It's, uh, it's just the way it is. And the, way, and the lack of discipline is the way of the sluggard. Just lacks discipline. January the 15th, 2009, US Airways, Airways Flight 1549 took off from LaGuardia Airport, New York. Three minutes, three minutes into the flight, hit a flock of geese, causing both engines to fail. The only possible landing space to maximize the chances of rescue was the Hudson River. The pilot, Chesley Sullenberg, brought the plane down at exactly the right speed, completely under control, with the wings totally level. The National Transportation spokesman said it has to go down as the most successful ditching in aviation history. He said these people knew what they were doing and knew what they were supposed to do and did it. And as a result, no lives were lost. You must have seen it on the TV because it was was an amazing escape for 155 people. Sullenberger had achieved 19,633 flight hours. He was a safety expert. He included in that he was a glider pilot. He did everything to help his flying experience. On landing, the nose of the plane had to be higher than the tail by 12 inches. I mean, the precision in this is extraordinary. And all his hours and hard work and training and studying, I tell you, the 55 passengers and the crew were absolutely delighted. Discipline is, is absolutely key. You have to put the hard 
work in. It requires work. No shortcuts. Laziness. It just takes away our dignity. So don't let squandered potential be your story. Don't let it be your story. You know, in the Proverbs 6, you've got the, uh, this tiny ant. This tiny ant in, in, in Proverbs 6. It's, the tiny ant is diligent. And, and again, it's sheer irony. You know, you're five foot whatever and 150 pounds. And it says, consider the ant. You know, you want to learn something, have a look down here. He's quarter of an inch long. He weighs next to nothing. And he will tell you, he will teach you how to do things. He'll teach you how to live. Look at the ant. It's diligent. The sluggard is lazy. The sluggard is backed off. The ant takes responsibility. The sluggard is looking for somebody else to take responsibility for him or her. That's what they do. Their life revolves around them. Everything is for them. And even that is enough because they can't bear anybody else's load and they want somebody else to bear their load too. Success, my friends, is long seasons of obedience in the same direction. It's long seasons of obedience in the same direction. We all fail. Because I said the characteristics are there are probably in all of us. But more than that, it's not just discipline. Sometimes, and pastorally I will see this, sometimes life's a brute. Life's an absolute brute to people. And, and the discouragement and disappointment can be huge. And on the receiving end of that, so I'm getting just, that's it, I've had enough. I give up. I just give up. You know, and they've laid down their dreams. It doesn't have to be your story. I want to tell you that it doesn't have to be your story. Please, don't be defined by your losses and failures. Don't do that. Don't, you can't afford to do that. God has great plans for you. God has direction and purpose for your life. God can help you rebuild. You can press the reset button Today, if that's you, you can, you can press the reset button today. You can start again today. And as a young Christian, I, I, um, I just walked away from God. I did, I did five years, what I would call wilderness stuff. And, um, and when I came back to the Lord, which was, was of His grace, because I didn't want to, but just His kindness and his power and his kindness and, and mercy towards me. And I, I've held up my hands and I give up. Lord, I just kill I, I know where my life belongs. It belongs with you. And, um, and after that, I had accusation after accusation from Satan telling me, well, what was I worth? I mean, look at all these people. They've been loyal. They've been faithful. Followed you. None of them done your stuff. And I did stuff. I did stuff. I'm not telling you some of that stuff. I did stuff. Wasted five years. And all Satan would talk to me was about wasted five years. I could have spent my time looking over my shoulder at the five years and everything I'd wasted. I could have done that. But you know what? The grace of God doesn't allow you to do that. Don't do that. The grace of God empowers you to look to the future. The grace of God gives you a reset button and you can start today. The grace of God, my friends, 
The love of God, it just follows you relentlessly. The love of God follows you. You can press the reset button today. He has prepared you, are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You have been created for good works. Well, listen, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. So don't live in the land of regrets. And don't, don't miss out what God has promised you. You know, you might just be sitting here and this is, this is it. And you've been looking over your shoulder for years. Come on. God's got a new plan for you. God has got a plan for your life. And you can get onto that today. You can get onto that today. Don't hang about. Don't let your lives be wasted through lack of discipline, laziness, or just sheer disappointment, discouragement. Don't let your life be wasted. Don't fritter away your life. Don't do it. These are the problems of the sluggard. So where's the freedom for the sluggard? Well, first of all, you have to go to the one who sets people free. You know, you shall know the truth. Truth will set you free. The Lord liberates. The Lord brings freedom. We need to understand, can I say this? In terms of work, we need to understand God's perspective about work. We frequently in this country have a negative view of work. For instance, some for some, you know, when they, if there's a winning of the lottery, there's an immediate expectation that they're going to give up their job. I mean, in other words, they minimize work. You know, that's the last thing you want to do. Now you've got millions of pounds. Just get out of work and into expensive leisure. Do that. That minimizes people's jobs and what they do. The Bible never does that. Work is something perceived in our culture, something to get out of. Leisure is something perceived to get into at expense of work. You know, the teaching of the book of Proverbs and the Bible as a whole is extremely positive about work. It's in absolute contrast to every other religion in ancient cultures. If you go to, you go to Genesis and you see God getting his hands in the dirt, creating man, manual labor, Call it what it is, manual labor. This is our God doing this. The Greeks were astounded by this. They understood the material world as, as corrupt and evil. And that all work was a necessary evil. My, my friends, when God creates paradise, it's the ideal environment for humans to flourish. Into paradise, he puts work. Before sin, before the breakdown of people, before broken humanity, right there at the beginning, they're gardeners and loving it. The Bible gives dignity to work. There's no snobbery, no class conscious, you do this, I do that. There's none of that in the Bible. It esteems work. And when the God of the Bible comes to earth, he doesn't show up like a Roman general. He doesn't do a, I'm the Greek philosopher of the age. No. He comes, what? As a carpenter. As a carpenter. The Holy Spirit as well, as leading people to Christ, is there at creation. Growing, cultivating, gardening. God at work. Whether I'm preparing a sermon 
whether it's that or whether it's doing the accounts, whether it's serving a customer, whether it's cleaning, my friends, it's all spiritual. Don't anybody say any different. It all matters. It's all important. So whatever you do, and I know some of us don't work, but I know you still work. You know, you're involved in this, or you're involved in that, or you're looking after your grandchildren or whatever. I mean, whatever you do, do it well. Do it well. It's really important. The early Christians, they were known for being honest and law-abiding citizens. That's what stuck them out above all the others. That's a telling statement, isn't it? They were, they, were, they were known. It all matters. Take pride in what you do, whatever you do. The work is not a necessary evil. Work is good. It's important to have a kingdom perspective about work. You know, how you do it is really important. I had somebody asking me the other day, and they rang me up and said, I would like some feedback of your conversation that you had with your bank. And then they rattled off these questions. What I'm telling you, it was so quick. A couple of times I said, can you just say that again, please? It's just too quick. And, they, and I realized I was, I was just a task. I was not a customer. And it was, to me, ironic. He was asking me feedback of my customer of the customer relationship with the bank. And he's asking me feedback. And he's making my idea of the bank even worse. Now, would you say it was good, not good, very good or excellent? Would you say it was this, this, this? And I said, actually, well, in that instance, I can't give you an answer. Well, he said, you can only do this, this or this. I said, well, I'm not going to do it. I said, put your own, what's the name down? And he, he, he just completely undermined everything that he was meant to be about. Whatever you do, my friends, do it well. Nobody likes to be served by a surly salesperson, do they? I saw somebody walk into uh, their sales room the other day and I kicked a box and they're so angry and I thought, this is not good. The customer, I could see the customer said, I'll go and get it. <laughs> so I thought, that was in a supermarket. I thought, this is not good, not good. Okay, listen, listen, it's important that what we do, do it well. It isn't about trying harder or screwing up willpower. It's about coming to the one who wants us to do well. It's about coming to Christ. It's about his purpose and meaning. My friends, he changes everything. Let me, under, let me get this. I don't care if you get the biggest buzz out of your work, whatever. I'll tell you what. It's only Jesus that makes it meaningful and purpose to your life. Because you can be so good at work, your family life can be a disaster. Because you put so much into work. It's not about that. Come and meet the person. Meet, as Ron said the other day, the master key. Jesus is the master key. I got this key in my pocket here. And uh, at the cent- King Center... It can open loads of doors. It's the key to have. You can't have it, by the way. But it's the key to have. It's the key to have there. Yeah. Jesus is the key. You want, you want to know how your life is to be and the shape of your life and the purpose of your life and the meaning of your life? It starts with Jesus. It always starts with Jesus. He's the master key. He makes everything make sense. He takes ordinary people and changes them. He gives meaning. Ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. He's so full of life that everyone he meets, 
he impacts. They said, my goodness me, I've never met authority like this. This Jesus, no one has ever spoken words like this. Ordinary people, Peter, fisherman, changed by Jesus, by Eck. His life was on fire. Jesus does that with everybody. So that's where it is with you, my friends. That's the place to start. So if you are sitting here wondering, where do I start with this life? You start with him. It's not about your willpower or how industrious you are, how good you are. It starts with him. And everything starts to take place after that. So you, wherever you are, is it just sheer boredom? Is it discouragement, disappointment? You're just lazy. You can press the reset button. You can press the reset button this day. And it all starts with him. Jesus. Amen?